0: We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of his glory to you. All right, good morning. Good morning. Come on, come on. Good morning. It's good to see you all this Yeah, there we go. All right. Hey, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, We're going to go ahead and get rolling here. I'm going to dismiss our elementary kids. We do this the first and the third Sundays of every month where they get to be together as um peers learning together some of the same things we're walking through together in here so families um this is a a good time for you to to allow your kids to be a part of that if that's a desire of yours but then to be asking questions on the ride home and and throughout the week about what they've learned so we'll go ahead and do that and then as they're headed out uh if you would go ahead and grab a bible if you have one there near you and turn to the book of john we are working through the book of john and have been for uh what six weeks now and uh, we'll continue until we finish the book. John is in the New Testament, which is in the back half of your Bible. Uh, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. So go ahead and, and grab one and look at John. We, I've said this, but we use our Bibles here. This is something that we want to to make sure we know together as a people. We use our Bible, so I'd encourage you to bring one with you if you um, have one. If you don't have one, we'd love to give you the one that's there in the pew. This morning we are at a passage, as we've worked through John, we're at a passage um, that is a very well-known passage in the Bible. In fact, probably the most well-known verse in all of the Bible is in the passage we're about to look at this morning. And and, and so, uh, can I just offer a challenge to us, an, an encouragement, a challenge to us as we consider um, getting going into chapter, uh, the end of chapter 2 and into to chapter 3? Here's my challenge. Can I invite us in to allow this text to um, not be familiar in such a way that it causes us to check out? Okay, and, or to put that positively, can, can I encourage you to engage with what Jesus is doing in the text and what he may be trying to, to teach you? So don't, don't check out. Don't think, I've, I know this one. This is something that, that I've worked through a bunch of times. So if that's you, um, don't, don't check out. Fulfill, familiar text. But we also know that god's word is living and active today, right? So this isn't something we learned 18 years ago, but but it's something that's now still effective in us today So once you found john uh, chapter 2 If you have it go ahead and uh, if you're able this morning join me in standing We're going to read the entire passage It's a longer passage, but um, we're, we're going to stand and, and we do this so that we um Show reverence to the fact that we're reading the word of god and so um, let me begin reading chapter 2, starting in verse 23, and we'll read all the way through chapter 3, verse 21. So uh, find a comfortable position as you stand there. So here we go. <clears throat> chapter 2, starting in verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people, and Needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is God's Word. Amen. You know, have a seat. <clears throat> now, if we remember the purpose of the, the book of John, it, as we've been working through this and we've seen this over and over, the purpose of John's writing this account, this gospel account, is so that we would believe, so that you and I, us, so that we would believe, and, and it's not just some far-off belief, right? It's not some, like, out-there belief, some crazy thing that's way out there. It's a belief tied to the fact that we can actually know Jesus, that we can know Him, right? That, that Jesus is revealing to us Himself, and, and, and that He's not far off. He, he knows us, and He answers us, and, and He changes us would you consider that this morning i don't know um where you land in your belief or unbelief or doubt or skepticism or wherever you land i don't know where you are it could be this morning that that you have an encouraging flourishing relationship with jesus and for you to just know that he's near is a simple encouragement maybe that's where you land this morning That's, that's encouraging that Jesus is near, that, that he, he wants to be near us. He's not far off. It's just a beautiful encouragement to, to you. Maybe that's um, what you need this morning, just some encouragement to, to keep moving forward. Maybe this morning you're, you're not in a season where you feel particularly inclined toward Jesus at all. You, just grew, you grew up in, in the church, but it was in some ways forced upon you. Um, it was expected of you that you would be there. That that's kind of how you just rolled and, and now you don't really know what you believe, but you've got this sort of background with you. It, would it be an encouragement to you today to know? Just simply, Jesus is near and desires a relationship with you. Not not religion, but, but he desires relationship. He desires to be near you. Maybe this morning you've never considered a relationship with Jesus. In fact, you don't even know what that means. Right? You've heard me say that now a couple times, but you don't know what, what it means. I, I'll just say, I believe you're here for a reason. You just float in and, and it was a mistake. You thought this was a coffee place, but now it's not. But we do have coffee. And, right? You're here for a reason. We believe that. We, we believe you're here for a reason. And part of that, I think especially in light of this passage... I think part of that is that that you're here so so that you would be invited into relationship with Jesus. He knows us and he answers us and in our belief he's the one who changes us. Last week we saw the right anger, the righteous anger of Jesus exposed as as he realized God was not being worshipped. If you were with us last week we walked through that passage. He, he removed the wrong worship. He brought restoration to how God is to be worshiped. And, and, and John tells us that it wasn't until after Jesus' resurrection that it all clicked with his disciples and, and that they got it. And, and then they believe that they believe these things. And we we come now to this, these transition verses at the end of chapter 2 where John is preparing us for what we're about to see in, in the life of Nicodemus and what we're about to see in the life of a Samaritan woman in chapter 4 in a few weeks to come. Where we're told that while Jesus was in Jerusalem, many believed. But I would ask the question, did they? Did they truly? We're told they believed when they saw the signs that Jesus was doing should we say it this way? They, quote, believed. They, they believed when they saw that Jesus could do some pretty amazing things. It wasn't deep, grounded belief. And in fact, I think this is what we see in the very beginning, that, that Jesus knows us. And I'll show you what I mean. He knows us. Look at verse 24. It says that Jesus did not entrust himself to them. Why? Right? They may have, quote, believed, but but Jesus didn't believe them. This is a play on words, right? So the, the, in the original language, this is a play on words. He didn't believe them because he knew them. He he knew their hearts. He knew their belief was shallow and grounded only in the fact that he could do so many things. Many uh, may have believed in Jesus, but he didn't believe them. There's the play on words. They may have believed in Jesus but he didn't believe them because he knew their hearts he knew the hearts of the people listen Jesus knows us he knows us he knows you he knows me he knows our hearts verse 25 tells us that he Jesus doesn't need anyone to bear witness about the people because he knew what was in the heart of man he knows what's in the hearts of the people Jesus knows us he knows hearts he knows He knows when our belief is grounded in Him and not just in what He can do for us. He knows that belief in Him, when when things are going our way, is shallow. And and, and the further away we get from the thing He's done in our lives, the further away we get from Him. Has anybody experienced that? Jesus has done some really neat things, so I'm going to be close. But now it's been a couple weeks, and and, uh, I'm a little bit further away from that. But Jesus knows us and he desires our attention and he desires our affection because he's worthy in himself in himself to receive all honor and all attention and all affection not just because he does amazing things for us john uses these uh, three verses at the end of the passover scene of the temple to prepare us for an example that we see in nicodemus that we'll get to but can we just stop and consider right now for us jesus knows you He, he knows you, he, he knows your heart, he knows uh, my heart, he knows if we're following him because he's given us good things. He knows if it's just grounded there. He also knows if we'll ditch him when things don't go exactly like we thought they should. Uh, Jesus knows us, he knows our hearts, our desires, our, our, uh, uh, and our uh, attention is, is shifting. Maybe the point of application for us this morning, for you this morning, is just to consider... Why do I believe that Jesus is worth following? He knows me. Why do I believe that Jesus is worth following? Is it because he can do some neat stuff in my life? Is that why? Is that why I lean in that direction? If so, here's my fear for you, here's my fear for me when I lean in that direction. My fear is at some point, that's going to come crashing down. Not because Jesus isn't great. But because he didn't always promise that things would go well. In fact, I think he promised uh, just the opposite at times. Right? That that we would face hardship. That we would face struggle. And in addition to that, we live in a world affected by sin, its consequences, its impact, and the brokenness of us. He, he knows our hearts. He knows our desires. He knows where our attention is. And so the question I, I think maybe we should ask for application is, why is Jesus worth following? To you and me, why why is he worth following? Is it because of, of, can we just back, is it because of everything we've already seen in John 1? You remember from several weeks ago that he's God from the beginning? He's God? That, 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 that he's creator and sustainer of all things. He's upholding all of that. He's Light in the darkness. He's Lord and Savior. He's the one, the only one who reveals God to us. That, that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That, that Jesus knows us and, and, and those things that we know about him ought to be a comfort to us. We have a God who knows us and wants to be known by us. Listen, known, relationally, deeply known. Not religiously known. Not facts about him known. But relationally No, not, not, I know some things about Jesus and what he can do for me and what I have to do for him to keep this up. No, he knows us, relationally knows us, deeply and graciously knows us. I think John is setting us up for what we're about to see. Now, that's not to say that if we truly are in a place of desiring to follow Jesus that, that we won't have questions. So don't hear that don't hear if i'm in a place where i'm truly following jesus then everything is answered and i've got all my all everything lined up i know it all that that's not at all the case that that, that we won't have questions that we won't struggle that we won't have moments of deep doubt and maybe even cynicism our faith in jesus is not perfect right is anybody with me amen is anybody with me there our faith in jesus is not perfect It wavers. But listen, Jesus doesn't leave us alone in our doubts. He doesn't leave us alone in our struggle. He's approachable. We see it here in this interaction with Nicodemus. I think what we see next is this, that Jesus answers us. He answers us. We're told in chapter 3 that there's a Pharisee named Nicodemus. He's the ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus is a, a teacher of teachers. So think about this. He's a, he's a teacher of teachers. He's a law-abiding, law-teaching, leader of leaders among the Jews. He's got a family heritage that's, that's, that's on point. right? If you're looking for a religious example in this day, you would go no further than someone like Nicodemus. He's got it all together. It's very clear and known that someone like him has got it all in line. Someone like Nicodemus, then, leans heavily on his own abilities to follow the law perfectly. That's... Nicodemus, but, but also keep in mind what we said earlier, that Jesus knows us. He knows Nicodemus. John has set us up for this. He knows the heart of man. And John gives us the introduction at the end of chapter 2 to prepare us for Nicodemus. Now, on surface appearances, Nicodemus has it all together, perfectly polished. He's got it together. But does he truly believe? So here's what happens. He comes asking questions. And we're told that he comes asking at night and many would speculate that this is john 's way of saying that he comes in darkness It 's not about the time of day at all, but but John's saying he comes in his own darkness, not yet exposed to the light of Jesus, not necessarily the evening not the not the time of day, but Nicodemus comes at night and begins this formal process of interrogation, this formal conversation. Uh, with jesus this is a common way for the pharisees to bring a charge against someone who did not line up with their way of thinking and so they said nicodemus and and he begins his line of questioning i I think we'll see three questions as we work through this all of them answered by jesus jesus answers us he he answers And, and so he starts in verse two rabbi or teacher we know you're a teacher from god because no one can do the things you are doing unless god is with you the question here, there's a question there, it's implied, and the question is probably something like this. We see that you're a teacher, but are you something more than that? We see that you're a teacher, that's clear, but we saw, we've also seen you do some miracles. Who, who are you? And so Jesus answers, and we'll get, we'll get to the answer here in a second, but can we just allow that to sit there, that Jesus answers us? He answers. He answers a Pharisee who comes in his own darkness to approach Jesus. He takes the time to answer. His his answer here doesn't directly address the question of Nicodemus. Instead, Jesus says, what? Uh, Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. In, In a sense, Jesus is saying, you think you can pin me down by what you've seen me do. Because you've seen some of the signs that I've done. You think you get it, but unless you're born again, unless you experience rebirth, you can't see anything that has to do with what God is up to. So he answers Nicodemus. And so Nicodemus asks question number two in verse four. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter his mother's womb and be now, remember from our introduction in John several weeks ago, if you were here with us, if you weren't, I'll, I'll tell you. Um, one of the themes that we're going to see over and over and over in the book of John is this theme of misunderstanding. Jesus has these interactions and, and there's misunderstanding. And so Jesus has to then re- explain it again. We see that here in Nicodemus. And Nicodemus does not understand. But before we shove him aside as someone who's goofy and doesn't get it, let's not do that because that question's kind of goofy, isn't it? right is this what i'm supposed to do right but it's kind of goofy but before we shove him off it's quite probable that nicodemus is an we know that he's an intelligent man so it's quite probable that nicodemus is responding to jesus metaphor with the metaphor so does that make sense nicodemus is an intelligent man he's not asking about the anatomical process of birth that's not what he's doing He's answering answering the metaphor with the metaphor. And so the question that Nicodemus is asking is something like this. <clears throat> How can an old man like me experience rebirth? How can someone like me experience the, this kind of rebirth? And it, it, we just push that a little bit further. Really, what Nicodemus is asking And I want us to hear this. I think really what he's asking is, how can an older man from a family heritage of prominence in a role as a leading official in the Jewish community, a law-abiding religious leader who has his act together and his ducks in a row, how can a man like me experience the kind of transformation you're talking about? Nicodemus doesn't get it and so he asks the question of jesus how can someone like me who's set in his ways experience this kind of rebirth experience this kind of renewal experience this kind of 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 restoration friends again listen jesus answers us He, he answers those questions and so we're told that jesus answers starting at verse five saying Unless you're born of water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of god And many would say that jesus is is pointing back to how the old testament writers talk about renewal and spiritual cleansing You can read about it in ezekiel 36 25 through 27 where water and spirit flows to bring cleansing Right, so it brings this cleansing upon a person. Jesus goes on to say that he's not talking about physical biological rebirth That's not what he's getting at He makes these two categories in verse 6 that you can be born biologically, right? There's a biological birth. that, That can happen. That makes you part of the human race, Nicodemus. But it's a different category for those who are born of the Spirit. Reborn, as it were. Changed and transformed and renewed by the Spirit. And so really what Jesus is saying here is this. Nicodemus, the rebirth that I'm talking about cannot be conjured up with status and knowledge and position. The rebirth, the, the, the restoration, the renewal that I'm talking about cannot be brought about w- w- with your status, with your posturing, w- with your understand, with your intelligence. It can't be brought about that way. The rebirth I'm talking about has nothing to do with the individual, w- with the person. In fact, Jesus says in verse 7, don't get caught up in the fact that I said to you, you, and, and here he moves on to plural, you all. In fact, some would say he's saying, yeah, why don't you go back and tell the Pharisees. Don't get caught up in the fact that I I said you all must be born again. It has nothing to do with you all. It it has everything to do with the Spirit blowing over individuals, bringing restoration in ways that we would never comprehend. So I just boil it down into this way. Into a simple statement from uh, Jesus. It's as if Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, You cannot bring change to your own heart by doing the right things. You can't. You you cannot bring about change to your own heart and life by doing the right things and being the right kind of person. This is about God working on you and in you to bring you new life. And can we remember this? Don't let this be trite. Don't let this be unimportant. Nicodemus asks the question and Jesus answers him. He, he answers him. Jesus answers us. Nicodemus asks questions, and Jesus takes the time to answer him, pointing him in, in the right directions. And he asks another question in verse 9. I want you to look there. He says, it's a simple question. How can these things be? Nicodemus seems to, to be asking the question, how can someone like me How how, how can it be, Jesus, that that someone like me can't can't pull this stuff together on my own and bring about my own change? How can this be? And and Jesus answers in verse 10, Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel. There's a little jab. You're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand? Right, Nicodemus said, as a teacher of these things, you ought to know about the new life that's already been talked about in Ezekiel and in other places. You know about that. That you know about that life that's been given from God. And so Jesus answers, It's true as teachers, right? You and me, Nicodemus, we're teachers. We're in this together. We're peers. You, you and me, Nicodemus, we teach what we know, but you and your people aren't listening or receiving what we're bringing to you as true. If you don't understand the things that are going on here, you're not going to believe what I tell you about the heavenly things. If you don't understand the earthly things, you're not going to believe the heavenly things. And, and so here's what Jesus does right after that. He connects these thoughts with something that Nicodemus would surely remember. He gets on his level. He says, let, let me talk to you about something that you will surely remember. You're, after all, a student of the Old Testament, especially the law, and you would have known the stories about Moses. Can we just, can we just bring it into Moses? Moses in the wilderness, the, the event we see in, in Numbers 21, the, the Israelites are in the wilderness, and they begin to get Impatient. If you remember the scene, they, they begin to get impatient. They speak against God. They speak against Moses, wondering why they have been brought out of, e, out, out of Egypt to die. Why have you brought us out here to die with no food, with no water? And so what did God do? Did he bring food and water? No, he brought snakes. Do you remember that scene where he brings snakes to the Israelites and the snakes bite the Israelites and many of the Israelites die? And, and, and they went to Moses and they confessed and they said, please ask God to Stop right? It's always a good prayer. God, stop the snakes, right? That's a good prayer. Moses asked God to stop, and God said, what? What did God do? He said to Moses, well, hey, how about you make a bronze snake and put it up on a pole, right? And and when the people are bitten by the snakes, have them look at the bronze snake, and they will live, and and, and it happened that way, right? When, When the people were bitten, if they looked at the pole, they lived, and they didn't die. So all that, remember all that, Numbers 21, here's what jesus is doing it's brilliant he's saying to nicodemus nicodemus you know this strange story you remember this can i just tie this together to something you would understand he, you would remember this event so jesus is bringing it to his level of understanding he's connecting the dots for nicodemus as it's answering his question and he says what here's what god did nicodemus in the wilderness god provided life through something he caused He saved them by his power. The Israelites simply had to look at the snake. And so what is Jesus doing with Nicodemus? What was he talking about? God providing life. There's this connection. And so Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness to provide life, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness to provide life, that's what I'm doing. And just as the snake was lifted up, so will the son of man be lifted up, lifted up on a cross, but lifted up ultimately above all else. For what purpose? Jesus says in verse 15, look at it, the very last part of verse 15, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So catch all this. Right, a little bit confusing. Catch it, catch it all. Nicodemus has his identity rooted in religious prominence, and he's asking questions of Jesus, and Jesus answers and he says, Nicodemus, I know you know a lot. You know, you you know how your own people had to believe that God would give them life by looking at a snake. Right? You know that story. I I'm greater than that, and eternal life will only be found in, in me. Whoever, even you, Nicodemus, whoever. Believes will have eternal life. Not just life right then, for a little bit, but, but eternal life. And so Nicodemus continues to ask these questions, and Jesus answers question after question, three questions over. Here's what I think I, I, I want us to see. He's not a God who's far off. He's not an unapproachable God. He doesn't it, it, want to shove us off. And he's a God who wants to relate. And so I just want us to pause for a second and consider that, allow that to sink in consider the kinds of questions that Nicodemus is asking. I want us to consider the, the, the kinds of questions that he's asking as our own, as if we're asking these of Jesus. I've paraphrased them. I'll show you the way that I've paraphrased these questions. I think the first question that Nicodemus asks is this, Jesus, who are you? We, we know you're pretty amazing, is that is that it who are you is that a question that you may need to ask today like nicodemus do you know some about jesus but 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 not the kinds of things that would cause you to consider true life change You know some things about jesus some facts about jesus But but it hasn't gotten you you to a place that you would then consider What does it look like for me to have true life change in him? You you know some things about jesus and you've you've experienced some things uh, But have you experienced true life transformation if that's where you are this morning? Would you consider? Maybe even asking jesus sincerely jesus who are you? Have you thought about asking that question? Who who are you Are, are you? Are you more than I've accepted you to be in my life? Is there more? Would you show me more of yourself? I think that's the first question we can consider from Nicodemus. The second question is this. How can someone like me be changed? The emphasis is me. That's, That's what Nicodemus is getting at. Maybe that's a question you would need to ask. Like Nicodemus asked, how can someone like me be changed? Have you spent the the last years of your life thinking something like this? I think I've learned how to manage my life. I think I've learned how to put things in order. I think I've learned how to be a Christian. How many of you have thought that? I've done this long enough and I know how to go through the motions. I've just learned how to be a, a Christian. I was with a group of friends last night and we had this conversation like... We've just gone through it enough that we just know how to do it. But is it doing anything in us? Do I, do I really need to consider the question, how can I be changed? I don't think I need to consider that. How can I be changed? I'm fine. Isn't that what Nicodemus thought as well? I'm fine. Right? Maybe the question for you today is, Jesus, would you show me areas in my life that need transformation that I'm blind to right now? Where I'm just thinking I'm fine related to that question pushing it down i think even further to match the question of nicodemus i think the third question he asks is this really how is this not up to me right how is it possible that i don't have some kind of say over how god would respond to me isn't there something that i can do to earn some attention and some affection from god isn't there something i can do how can this all be isn't that what nicodemus asked so would you, you consider those questions this morning as your own? What question strikes you as one that you may need to ask? Consider those. Jesus, who are you? Would you, would you show me? Jesus, is it possible for someone like me to, to experience change? Really, is true life change up to anyone but me? And then, and then as you ask those questions, can I encourage you to listen as Jesus answers? Because he already has. Here are his answers to Nicodemus. And I think uh, by extension to us, as we ask him these questions, he says over and over, truly, truly, or, or listen, this is true. Truly, truly, I'm not just a miracle worker. I'm not just one who does neat things when you're in a pinch, but I'm one to be worshipped in all of life. Hmm. I'm not just one to, to be like your genie in a bottle to give you some stuff when you're asking of me, but I'm one to be worshipped in all of life. truly. Truly. There's hope for you to experience true life change. For you to experience true life change, but but it has nothing to do with your abilities or your intelligence or your expertise. It has everything to do with the work that the Spirit is doing in you. Truly, truly, new life is not given to you based on what you can or can't do. It's given to you on, on the basis of faith in me and everything I've already accomplished on the cross. Believe and receive, and and have eternal life. Jesus has already answered these. Questions he, He's answered, and when it comes to faith in Him and eternal life rooted in Him, He answers us. And all of His answers point to Him that true life comes from believing He has accomplished our right standing with God already. The thought after this interaction with Nicodemus is that John the author grabs on to what Jesus tells Nicodemus in this interaction and he then explains and elaborates in verses 16 through 21. So now you get to 16 through 21 and if in your Bibles there are red letters, trace each of those letters with black ink because they ought not to be red. I think this is from John. Don't do that. That would take forever. Um, Here's what I think we see in these verses. Jesus Changes us. These are John's words. He's elaborating on what has just happened in this story, and these words uh, probably come from from John. He lays out clearly what we deserve and and what in belief we receive. That Jesus changes us, and he shows he shows us these contrasts. Contrast after after contrast. Six verses. He shows these contrasts to make his point that Jesus is the one who changes us. I love to consider. Uh, that John the author writes out the events of Nicodemus. And remember, he was there, probably. John the author is probably there. He may have heard this conversation going on. I just love to consider that John the author writes all these things out. He knows that, that um, Jesus knows what's going on in the heart of Nicodemus, and it's because he knew that that, that, that he answered in the way that he did, pointing to himself and his and, and the need for Nicodemus to believe. I love to think that John, in all of that, writes all that out and then says... I got a couple things I want to add. I, want to, I got a couple things I want to show you about what it truly looks like to believe in this Jesus, right? Uh, let me take a minute to clearly speak the gospel and what Nicodemus needed and what we all now need. And I love to think that John is then inserting a call to believe into the narrative. He says, in these really familiar verses, and in, in, in my paraphrase, it's in love that God would give his son to be crucified on a cross and it's only belief that in in the jesus that we see here and that he is who he says he is that that he that that we won't die and be separated from god it it, that, that we won't be condemned but saved it's in belief that that we have life that nicodemus came to jesus in the darkness of his own night but jesus approaches us in the light in light in our own dark night so as nicodemus comes in the darkness of his own dark night jesus approaches us as light breaking into our dark night and if we continue to love our place of darkness and evil and wickedness we won't come to the light because then we're exposed and those those in darkness don't want to be exposed it's only those who see the truth of jesus who believe the truth of jesus who will come to the light of jesus and the good work of god is clear in them, And I love to think that in this narrative account of Nicodemus, John is inserting a call to believe in Jesus and be changed by Jesus in all these opposing words, from death to life, from condemnation to salvation, from unbelief to belief, from darkness to light. There's hope. John is inserting into this hope. We don't know what happens to Nicodemus. It just drops off. And and then John just begins to insert hope that that Jesus alone changes us. Friend, would you consider that today? It's Jesus alone who changes. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you consider today that the, that the the truth of the gospel, that there's nothing that you would bring, that that would cause the favor of God to be lavished upon you. Let's just look at these verses, the very well-known verse of 3.16, that there's nothing that would cause God to lavish his love on you. Consider that, that there's hope. If you're a follower of Jesus today, would you consider that Jesus is able to save people like Nicodemus and you? That, That there's hope for that person in your life. Whoever that is in your life that you're praying for, there's hope for that person as well. Can I just push there again? Would you continue to pray that they would come in their darkness to, to receive light? If you're someone who doesn't really know where you land, but you've always thought of yourself as a Christian, but and you're not really sure why, you just kind of grew up in that, would you consider today? Again, That it's in the love that God has shown us in His Son, giving His Son that that you would have life with Him. No amount of doing the right thing or going to church enough compels God to love you. Do you hear that again? No amount of doing the right stuff or going to church enough compels God to love you. He already loves you because of Jesus. It's not an insignificant thing. There's hope. This morning, maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You, would, you wouldn't say that, yep, that's where I land. Would would you consider this? That there is a God who loves you. It's not a God who's far off, but, but a God who loves you. And He gave His Son. And His Son died so that you could live. And His Son was raised from the dead to give us hope. That... That he wants a relationship with you, not a religion with you, but he wants a relationship with you. There's hope in this life, and especially in the life to come, that that God is the one who is maybe even now at work in you. And so maybe you resonate with Nicodemus and think, well, I have some questions like he did. Oh, I want want to know more. Listen, friend, there's hope. John 3 leaves us hanging. Maybe the question in your mind is, does Nicodemus respond in belief? Where's that? What what happened there? Right? Did he just sort of like shrug and go home? What what happened? Are are the answers that Jesus gives sufficient for Nicodemus then to believe? I think that's a bad question. Do the answers of Jesus need to be sufficiently answered if we understand that the Spirit is the one at work? Here's my encouragement to you. If you're speaking the gospel to someone and you think, well, I don't know if I've done it well. Maybe I shouldn't do that. The Spirit is the one at work changing, not you. So, so, so my question again, does, do the answers of Jesus need to be sufficiently answered and understood in the, if the Spirit is the one who's working to bring about belief? Is there hope for Nicodemus? Well, listen. John the author gives us a glimpse of what became of nicodemus not much is spoken of him but jesus walks through life on this earth he's led away to be crucified and he dies he's lifted up just like the snake in the wilderness he's lifted up but in love god's only son was given jesus is the lamb of god who came to take away the sins of the world and here's what happens john uh, jesus says in in chapter 19 from the cross it is finished and he dies And at the cross, a couple people are introduced. We're told in chapter 19, starting in verse 38, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, listen to how these people are described, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, who's that sound like? Right, Nicodemus right, who uh, comes at night it secretly for the fear of the Jews asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus and Pilate gave him permission so he came and took away his body who else is introduced? Keep reading Nicodemus also who earlier had come to Jesus by night came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes uh, about 75 pounds in weight Studies have shown that 75 pounds of spices would equal a lifetime's salary. And so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Two people are mentioned to be at the crucifixion to take the body of Jesus. One of them is Nicodemus. He's there, and, and, and some think, again, with this life wages worth of burial spices, it's John's way of saying, the eternal life that you have given is a small fraction of my entire life's wages. There's hope friends. There's hope. When, when the Spirit's at work in the heart of an individual, there's hope. And so and so we respond in that, right? We, we, we respond. We, we, this has got to bring us to a place of response. That maybe today for you, it's a response of turning to praise the God who gives salvation in his Son. That that he would come and, and, and offer salvation in in love right that, that we offer nothing to the salvation equation and so we know that and we hear that and we we turn and our response is to worship maybe your response today is that you would turn and believe i said this in the very beginning i, I don't think it's a mistake that you're here this morning and so maybe your response is that you would turn in belief to the one who offers life to the one who offers hope, and that's Jesus alone. No amount of you conjuring up intelligence or smarts or or anything that you would offer brings you favor, but Jesus and and his love offers that for you. So there's a response there as well. And and so this morning, I want to end our time together in prayer. I want to pray for us, pray over us, pray um, for our our hearts, and I, I want to end our time in celebrating what Jesus has already accomplished so that we can come empty handed to the throne of grace. So that we can come offering nothing, offering nothing, but receiving what God has already done in His Son. And let me pray for us this morning and we'll continue. Let's pray. God, in a passage like this that may be so familiar, my prayer is that we would not check out and, and think, yep, this is for someone else. This is that famous passage, this gospel passage that other people need to hear. Would you help us to, to consider even some of the questions that Nicodemus asks? Jesus, who are you? How's it, how's it possible that someone like me needs change? God, would you help us to consider the answers of Jesus? That there's nothing that we can do to offer, to offer you, God, that, that would give us favor. Because Jesus has already accomplished that and the Spirit's the one who's doing the work in and on us. Would you help us to consider that and believe it? And God, I know right now that there are people in this room who do not yet believe that you are who you say you are. I know there are people in this room this morning who, who don't yet believe Jesus that you are Savior and that they need you. And so my prayer is that the, those in this space this morning who, who, are, who are there would also truly believe that there is a reason that they came this morning and that you're the God who's over that reason, that you've called them here to believe. you do that work I, i even think about nicodemus who came and interacted with jesus and from everything we can tell he walked away believing continuing to follow jesus and and so god that that's the same this morning that there may be some who have walked in here and who have now experienced jesus would you continue to do the work in growing them to see their need more and more God, for all of us, I I pray that we would understand fully that the work has been accomplished. Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. And now, we get to to celebrate and worship you because of that. Freely. We we don't offer anything. We come empty-handed, and we get to worship. Help us to believe that, we pray. All these things we ask in the name of your Son. Amen.